What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. Hey, welcome to Elijah Part 3. And um, we're going to find out more about the great story of Elijah here in a second. But I just wanted to say hi and maybe connect with some of my listeners, um, some of you that are enjoying the podcast. I just want to say, please um, like the Facebook page. And also, if you could maybe leave a comment or two, you know, on the Facebook page, how how things are, are going with the podcast, things you like. And um, um, I just want to thank those of you who have liked the podcast, and it's encouraging to know that some people are listening. I also want to, um, whenever I speak at camps, I, I always like to do a quiz. And so um, I think what I'm going to do is maybe throw out a, a couple of questions, and if you know the answer, please answer on my Facebook page, you know, just give the answer. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to give a quick three-question quiz from last week, from last week's message, I should say. So um, um, question number one from last week's um, sermon, or whatever you want to call it, from last week's podcast, question number one, what town was the widow from? Now, don't look it up. you got to know this, right? Hopefully, you just listen to it, or maybe you'll think back. But again, don't look it up. Don't Google it. But what town was the widow from, all right? Um, it's pretty obvious, I think, if you listened, you know, well. Um, <laughs> number two, what was, when Elijah found the widow, what was the widow preparing to do? What was the widow preparing to do? It was rather a sad thing. And um, finally, question number three, where Elijah had to go was in the backyard of who? I mentioned last week that he hid basically in the backyard of someone very famous or someone connected to someone famous in the story. So, hey, three questions just to get you thinking. And again, if you could answer on my Facebook page, let's um, let's get a little bit of discussion going, a little bit of chatting and talking to each other. It's sort of lonely out here in Podcastville on your own. But again, I, I hope you're enjoying the podcast and Again, hit like, leave some comments. I would love to hear from you and answer those questions as we learn more about Elijah. And we now turn to Elijah part three, Elijah versus the prophets of Baal. Welcome to Baldhead Bible Podcast, making the Bible come to life, featuring the expository story preaching of Dr. John Katzian. Elijah stretched himself across the boy one more time. He'd stretched himself across him once before and he got up and nothing. The boy was still dead completely dead. He stretched himself out again a second time and got up and poked him a little and the boy was dead, no breath and nothing. And he had prayed to Yahweh. He cried out to Yahweh, please save this boy. This widow's gone through enough. 
So finally, he stretches himself out across that boy one last time. Then he gets up and... (gasps) The boy comes back to life. It says the spirit returned to the boy. He had died, completely been dead. But now the air, he's breathing. And it says Elijah picks up the boy and brings him downstairs and brings him to his mom and I can imagine his mom looks up and she is so excited her dead boy is alive and I can imagine the widow boy and the widow woman are hugging and then the widow looks up and says now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord or the word of Yahweh is in your mouth and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is truth. Now you would think making a jar that, you know, never runs out of oil and and, and having a jar that never runs out of flour would be a great example of, yeah, hey, I'm a prophet of Yahweh. I'm a true prophet, but no, this was it. And God performed this miracle because he wanted people to know That Elijah, he's my man. He is a true prophet of Yahweh. So we turn to 1 Kings chapter 18. It says, after many days, we don't know how many days lasted between the rising of this little boy and what's about to happen in 1 Kings 18. Could have been a year could have been two years. We do know this, that their drought lasted for three and a half years. Can you imagine that? No rain for three and a half years. This was severe. But I can imagine Elijah. He's at the base of this huge mountain called Mount Carmel. And he's got his servant. He's got a new servant with him. And he looks down at him and he goes, Hey, widow boy, are you ready to climb this? And the widow boy nods his head. Now, Jewish tradition holds that Elijah's servant that he later talks about in 1 Kings and 2 Kings is the widow boy he brought back to life in Zarephath. Now, I don't know if that's true. It's Jewish tradition. It's not really confirmed or disconfirmed in the Bible, but... I just think it's cool, you know, and he nods his head. And so they both begin to climb Mount Carmel. And I can imagine they're getting closer and closer to the top. And then they get up there and I can imagine Elijah pushes himself up. And, you know, the, the, his servant's looking ahead and says, hey, the top's up there. But Elijah's like, stop. Let's stop here. Because in front of him is an old altar broken down falling apart. I can imagine the servant says, this is it. Why are we stopping here? And Elijah goes, this is where one of the most important battles in Israel's history is going to take place right here. But why here? We're not even at the peak yet. And I can imagine Elijah says, see that altar? That old thing, you know, the servant says, it's all broken and falling apart. Should we knock down and not use to worship Yahweh? Because this used to be a wonderful altar to the worship of Yahweh. And I can imagine Elijah walks over to it, puts his hands on it and says, you know what? This represents exactly what Israel is right now. They're broken. 
They used to worship Yahweh, but then when Ahab and Jezebel brought in the worship of Baal with all of its pleasures and all of its, maybe they forced people, but eventually the Israelite people, they've abandoned Yahweh and like this broken altar. They're not what they used to be, but soon. There's going to be a battle that takes place here between Yahweh and Baal. And right here, we're going to see the power of God rain down once again. So do we start rebuilding it now? You know, I can imagine a servant saying, starting to rebuild the altar. No, 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 we wait. They're coming. And they'll be here soon enough. See, Elijah's near the top of Mount Carmel probably in some sort of plateau where they used to worship Yahweh. But earlier, Yahweh had told Elijah to get up in 1 Kings chapter 18. He says, get up and go, and I want you to confront Ahab. And I want you to tell him that the drought is finally over. After three and a half years, the drought is over and that rain will be coming. So I can imagine Elijah gets up, leaves Zarephath with his newfound servant, and he finds the right-hand man of Ahab called Obadiah. And he tells Obadiah to go get Ahab and tell him to come and meet him. So Elijah and his servant waited. and They waited probably at the gates of Samaria or some other major city, and they wait and they wait and then finally, in walks Ahab. He probably arrived with great pomp and circumstance. And I can imagine probably with a host of reporters around him, you know, the Samaritan Gazette, the Jezreel Chronicle, the Tishbonian, you know. I mean, I can imagine all these reports. This is major news. They finally found Elijah and Ahab and Elijah. They're about to confront each other. They'd all heard Elijah was back. Ahab and Elijah, they were going to meet today. You know, we'd sort of call it a press conference. They were holding the press conference of their day. And as the crowd gathers around the two men, you know, Ahab and his massive entourage. And then there stands Elijah and his widow servant, probably a widow guy. His widow, servant, and Elijah. Ahab, pomp, circumstance, massive amounts of people, and just Elijah and his servant. Elijah and his camel tunic, you know. He stands there and can imagine Ahab looks disdainfully down upon him. But then I can imagine the anger wells up in Ahab, and then he yells out, So! If it isn't the great troubler of Israel. I mean, that's the exact words that he says. He says, you, Elijah, are the great troubler. He, in fact, he asks that as a question. Is it you, in verse 17, you, you troubler of Israel? What Ahab meant was that Elijah, by announcing the drought, had brought all these calamities upon Israel. No food, hardly any water, and it had totally embarrassed Ahab and Jezebel. You great troubler of Israel. And Elijah answers, no, I'm not the troubler. I did not bring these problems upon Israel. You and your family, the house of Omri, you 
are the troublers of Israel. For you have abandoned the things and commandments of God, and by doing so, you've brought great tragedy and calamity upon this nation. You pursue all these Baals and not the true and living God. I can imagine Ahab starts to whine, No, I haven't, he says. It's you making it never rain and making me and my sweet wife, Jezzy, look bad. Well, I can imagine. Elijah says, The time has come to put up or shut up. I want you to call all the prophets of Baal, 450 of them. I mean, that was an exact amount. He says, I want all 450 prophets of Baal and 400 female priestesses of Ashtoreth. Bring them to Mount Carmel. And he leans in and he says to Ahab, bring him to Mount Carmel and we will decide once and for all who is the God of Israel? Is it going to be Baal? Or is it going to be Yahweh? Now, it's interesting. Mount Carmel is the perfect place to do battle between Yahweh and Baal. Why? Because the mountain itself borders between Israel, who Yahweh claimed as his own, and it borders between, again, the, the nation of Israel, who Yahweh claims as his own, and Phoenicia, the land where Baal was supposed to rule, and here Mount Carmel straddles, boom, right in the middle of the border between those two nations. Now, it's also interesting, Mount Carmel juts out into the Mediterranean Sea a little bit, and if you looked west, you could see the Mediterranean and all its splendor stretching out before you. And I can imagine there's, there's Elijah looking at the Mediterranean Sea, and he looks over and he sees the land of Phoenician ruled by Baal. And then he looks at Israel, which should be ruled by Yahweh. And he's thinking, this is going to be a wonderful battle. And it's interesting, he maybe looked up because Mount Carmel rises to 1,700 feet at its highest point. And this is a beautiful mountain and a beautiful place for God to display all his glory. So after a couple of days, the reporters arrive followed by the people of Israel. I can imagine they begin to straggle in, you know, a little bit at a time. Then arrives the grand show, Ahab and his royal entourage. Ahab's too good to probably climb up the mountain. He's probably being carried up the mountain on some sort of stretcher or some great throne with somebody feeding him grapes and switching out his headphones from his iPod whenever they got too sweaty, you know, and, and fanning him with some great leaf, you know. And, oh, Ahab, he's the king, the wonderful king. And behind Ahab are the 450 prophets of Baal. For some reason, the priestesses never made it. At least they never talked about. But behind him are 450. Think about that. 450 people who worship Baal. 450 prophets against one Elijah. And these 450 prophets, right, are wearing long white robes, as I understand it. And some pictures I've seen of pointy white hats, you know. These 450 prophets of Baal are following behind mighty King Ahab. They come to the top here where this altar is and they place Ahab down. 
And so, here they group together on one side of this plateau on Mount Carmel. And then slowly, over the next day, I can imagine Ahab starts to set up tents. On one side is him and his entourage and 450 prophets of Baal. And the other side is Elijah. And then over the next couple days, thousands of Israelites show up because, you know, they've heard the news. They've read the newspaper. They are not going to miss this. And so they begin to surround Elijah and his servant on one side. And I can imagine Ahab and his entourage on the other. I can imagine they sat down on the sides of the plateau so they could see the whole action. And then finally... After being surrounded with wall-to-wall people, spectators and reporters, Elijah, all by himself, he speaks some mighty words. He looks up at all the people of Israel and says this, How long will you limp between two opinions? I mean, literally, the Hebrew word there is the idea of limping, you know, never walking straight, or maybe hopping, you know, this idea of hopping, jumping between these rocks, jumping between stones, leaping back and forth, limping along. But he says, how long, Israel, will you limp between two opinions? And that Hebrew word for opinion, again, is this idea of a, of a cave or a hole that you've got to leap between. It also means, basically, you're divided. You are divided. And he says, how long are you going to limp between two different opinions? Then he says this, either Yahweh is God or Baal is God. If Yahweh is God, if the Lord is God, then follow him. Stop leaping between two opinions. Stop limping back and forth. If Yahweh is God, then follow him. But if Baal is God, then follow him. But just stop right in that fence, Israel. Stop right in the fence in the middle. You've got to choose. The people of Israel were fickle. They're right in the fence. Like I said earlier, they they were calling on Yahweh sometimes, you know, maybe during this drought. And then when the rains come and everything's great, then they'll start calling on Baal when they felt like it. And Elijah says, you can't do that. You have got to choose. Israel, are you going to follow God or are you going to follow Baal? And I can imagine that question echoes out. And that whole plateau... And the interesting thing was, there's no response. Israel said nothing at all. They answered with absolute silence. I can imagine they're utterly ashamed. You know, I think we are in the same boat oftentimes with Israel, aren't we? I mean, we have to decide who are we going to serve? Who are we going to put our loyalty behind and follow? The people of Israel are embarrassed. I could say nothing in return, you know, but it's a simple question. If you truly believe that Yahweh is God, then that should mean something. 
If you believe that God the Father sent his son Jesus and said, you know what? If, if you want to come to the Father, you have to come through Jesus. You have to accept my son as your Savior and see him as God and follow him and call upon his name as Lord. If you do that, then you're following me. The big question again and again is, what are you going to do with Jesus? And so many of us flip-flop. Sometimes we'll talk about Jesus, and then sometimes we, we follow the gods of money or lust or, or whatever it happens to be. But you know what's interesting? Jesus, later on in the New Testament, said, all of the prophets, Elijah, Isaiah, whoever it happens to be, are all summed up in this one idea that you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind. And so I just want to encourage you today that plea is still put forward to you today. The voice of Elijah should be in your ears. Next time you're tempted to sin, am I going to follow Yahweh? Or am I going to follow some other God? Maybe some of you have just been playing around with the religion. Well, if Yahweh's true, if God is real and his son Jesus is real, then stop messing around and follow him. Well, the people have been caught in their hypocrisy and they were stunned in silence. You know, imagine it. Thousands of people said nothing. So then Elijah moves on and he goes, listen, this is what we're going to do. If you look over there, you'll see 450 prophets of Baal, but only one prophet of Yahweh. But you know what? Our God's so mighty. We're going to do battle anyway. So we have two bulls here. You know, I, they were really difficult for me and the servant to get up here. But we did. I just want to say we hauled them all the way up the mountain. But they're the finest bulls in the area. And I want the prophets of Baal to have the first pick. You pick your bull. Go ahead. And then I want you to offer that bull to Baal. And I'm going to then take the remaining bull and offer him to Yahweh. And here's the challenge. The God who answers with fire by burning up the offering, his God will be Israel's God. Does that seem fair? He yells out to all of Israel. And this time the people answer with a resounding, yes, that sounds fair to me. And so... The prophets of Baal take on that challenge because, you know, it hasn't rained for three and a half years and they've been shut off by this God, Yahweh, and they've got to prove that their God is the true God. And if their God can bring down fire and get the people of Israel to follow him instead, well, why not? So they gather rocks, it says, and they begin to build their altar to Baal. I can imagine they build up the base platform with rocks and boulders and then they then they take wood and they, and they laid it upon the rock and and then they slaughtered the bull and laid him on top of the altar now remember they had 450 prophets to do this you know i can also imagine you know elijah's running around makes sure and certain they're not cheating you know oh I see that cigarette lighter, drop it. No matches, put them down, down, down with the matches. So after the altar was complete, it's going to be a big rectangle altar again with rocks at the bottom and boulders and then wood on the top and again with a bull hacked up on top of it. And then the 450 prophets of Baal 
They begin to cry out, Baal, answer us! And they begin to dance and move around the altar, you know? It says that they begin to dance, and I can imagine they brought their own Baal version of Megadeth, Anthrax, Slayer, you know, something evil like Slipknot. And they start to sing, Baal, send rain, send rain, Baal. Bring out our own Baal version of Miley Cyrus, you know, except a scary version, you know. I don't know, maybe they brought their own version of Lady Gaga singing the music. Baal, Baal, send rain, Baal, Baal. And then they brought out their emo version. You know, and then everybody stops because emo is pretty depressing and, you know, it's all about death and sadness and life. And Ahab's like, hey, stop that. Nobody's dancing. Quit the emo. Let's go back to Miley Cyrus, Lady Gaga. Come on. And so they bring back whatever music they used back then. And they cried out and they danced and left. It says from morning until noon. And I can imagine about noon, Elijah gets, he starts snickering to himself and he can't handle it any longer. And he says, what a dance. You call that good looking, man. That one guy keeps stepping on his sheets and, you know, he's probably saying this to himself. And then finally says here in first Kings 18, that he openly mocks them and begins to yell out. So where is Baal? You better shout louder. He can't hear you. Louder. Cry louder. Oh, oh, maybe he's thinking it over, Elijah says. Maybe, maybe he's maybe he's gone on a long journey. Or 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 the worst one, you know, maybe he's just asleep and he'll be back later. Or then my favorite mock of Elijah's is this one. He says, Maybe, maybe he's pooping on the pot. I'm kind of busy right now. So Elijah basically says, hey, where's your God? Is he gone on a journey? Can't he hear you? Is he deaf or is he relieving himself in the bathroom? I mean, Elijah is just mocking these Baal worshipers. The Bible says that as these worshipers danced and danced and called upon Baal, you know what the answer was? Nothing. No one answered. Nothing. It says there in verse 26, but there was no voice and no one answered. And so from noon, from early morning to noon, they're dancing, they're singing, they're crying out. At noon, Elijah begins to mock them. But then, starting from noon to three, things get ugly. Because they're getting no answer, and so they go even more frenzied. And it says they begin to cut themselves with knives and spears. And they would cut themselves with knives and spears to get the blood flowing to then spread that blood on the altar. And back then, it was a practice to hurt yourself to get the attention of your God. To say, look, I am such a follower of you. I will even cut myself. I will even hurt myself in your honor. And so from noon to three. For three hours, they cut and hurt themselves. And again, the Bible says, no one answered. And then, even more telling, the Bible says, no one, no one 
in verse 29. No one answered, but then it says even more tragically, no one paid attention. There is no other God but Yahweh. There is no other God but the Lord. There is no other God but Jesus. All other gods are useless. Isaiah 44, verse 19. There's no other God. No one pays attention. No one answers. From noon till 3 p.m. in the afternoon, they're cutting themselves. They're dancing. They're screaming, and no one answers. Then Elijah says, all right, people, come over here and listen to me. So maybe they were all crowded around that altar looking to see what would happen. And so they all shuffle and move over to Elijah. And soon he begins to repair that broken down altar that used to be used to the worship of Yahweh. And he found 12 large rocks. One clunk. Two, this one will do. You know, each rock represents one of the tribes of Israel, the people God so dearly loved. It was to remind the people that were watching of their past, of their brothers in Judah, and of their covenant with Yahweh. He then digs a trench around the altar. Again, it's this huge rectangle altar. Now remember, he's doing it all by himself or with a servant, probably just two of them, you know? I can imagine they're digging this trench around this altar, this big circular trench. Now it says the trench was about four gallons deep. Now, your average pitcher on your table has two quarts, okay? And it takes four quarts to make a gallon. So imagine two of those pitchers on your average table, you know, that's four quarts to make a gallon. And this trench was about four gallons deep. I mean, this was a big trench then. Elijah and, and, and servant are digging around this altar that he's built. So he's digging this trench. It takes him a while to dig the trench. It takes him a while to find the 12 stones. And finally, he gets then the wood and puts it on top of the altar and gets that all set. And then he's got to get that bull and hack it to pieces, right? Now, remember, they had 450 people to help them repair and build an altar, to help them cut up a bull. But... You know, I, I just can't imagine, how do you hack a bull into pieces? A servant maybe sneaks up behind it and jumps on it, and then whoop, slits its throat, and then Elijah whack, whacks off a leg, throws it on the altar, whack, whack, hacks off a head, throws it on the altar. You know, he basically chunks the torso into pieces. I mean, there is blood, I can imagine, flying everywhere. Sacrifice is nasty business. And I think it constantly reminded the priest of the great cost and evilness of sin. And so they heave the pieces of bull up on the altar. And there, that's it. He did the exact same thing as the prophets of Baal. He built an altar, put the calf, the bull on top of the altar that he's going to sacrifice to Yahweh. And that'd be good enough, you'd think, right? Well, not for Elijah. He wants to totally prove to the people watching that Yahweh is God because he goes even further. He wanted his people to know that this fire came from God and it was no show, no trickery on his part. 
He goes to his servant and says, all right, what I want you to do now is I want you to get four jars of water. Now, remember, they're up on a mountain. So that is quite a long trek, especially if they get it from the river below the mountain. You know, I can imagine maybe the servant says, hey, will some of you people watching come help me? You know, and so they brought their four jars of water. All right, what do we do? And Elijah says, I want you to pour it all over this altar. And so they pour the four jars of water all over the altar. Then Elijah says, do it again. And so the servant's like, you've got to be kidding me. All right, they go back down and they get four more jars and they struggle to bring it up and whoosh, they throw it all over the altar. And Elijah says, great, you guys are doing such a great job. Could you go get another four jars of water? This will be the last one, I promise. I can imagine that guy saying, why not ask for the three jars up front? And Elijah says, hey, dramatic effect. It also builds tension. Now go do it. So go down the servant and all the people, they come back with four jars of water and they throw it all over the altar. I mean, there is so much water that says it flows all over the altar and it even begins to fill up the trenches. I mean, if a normal guy had tried to light this thing, it would never light because it's wet. You can't light wet wood. And then, Elijah, finally, stops. The altar's ready. It says that Elijah the prophet, in verse 36, comes near. And he just starts to talk to God. He doesn't yell. He doesn't scream. He doesn't cut himself. He doesn't turn on fantastic dance music and turn it into some sort of event. He just talks to God as friend to friend, as prophet to his God. Just speaks to him and says, oh Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have turned their hearts back. And Elijah finishes saying these words. And he steps back. And then, well, if you want to find out what happens next, you got to come back next week and find out the final part of the Elijah story. Hey, if you want to read ahead, 1 Kings 18, you can read it for yourself. This is an exciting story of God defeating the prophets of Baal. And of one man saying, you know what? I am not going to waffle between two opinions. If God is God, then let's follow him. If Jesus is God, let's choose him and do what he says and obey him and stop messing around. I just want to encourage you, if you've never asked Jesus to save you, do it now because 
you're waffling between two opinions, you know? You may go to church with your family, or you may be in a city or town. Everybody talks about Jesus, but very few actually follow him. I encourage you today, ask Jesus to save you. He promises he will. Just pray. Ask him to save you today. But then for many of you listening, let's stop messing around with sin. Let's stop messing around with the world and things that First John talks about, the lust of the eyes and the lust of flesh. Stop messing around with that. If God is God, if Jesus is God, if he is who he says he is, then let's put our faith and our loyalty behind him. Follow him the rest of our days. Baldhead Bible Podcast is created by Dr. John Katzian. Music composed and performed by Elijah Katzian. Edited by Lincoln Katzian. If you would like to listen to more of Baldhead Bible Podcast, please subscribe. New episodes added every week.